0: Thank you. Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats. Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to episode four of Talk is Sheep Zoomcast. Today we're going to be talking about bighorns in the desert and we're going to be focusing on uh, Mexico so Steve and I are really excited to uh, welcome some really big names with bighorns in Mexico and uh, and some great work that's being done on the conservation side. So going to start off where we're really happy today to have Clay Brewer on board today. Clay is uh, with the Wild Sheep Foundation. He's their conservation director and uh, he's their bighorn sheep program leader. So uh, Clay, you've done a... You don't need much of an introduction in the wild sheep conservation circles, but welcome on the uh, Zoomcast. We're really excited to have you, Clay. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Excited about it myself.
0: Oh, Fantastic. Uh, and out of Mexico, uh, we're really excited to have uh, Emilio Rangel. Uh, Emilio is the chair of the Mexico Council for the Conservation and Sustainability of Desert Bighorn Sheep. And uh, Emilio is also the owner of, uh, with his family, of the uh, La Pomoza Ranch. And uh, uh, I, I get another great reputation in the industry about uh, big horns and conservation. And uh, so we're, we're really ha- excited to have you on board, uh, Emilio. Thanks for making the call today.
2: Well, thank you very much for inviting Fantastic.
0: us. Fantastic. And uh, Jacob, Jacob R.T. is with the R.T. family, again, down in Mexico. Uh, Jacob's with, uh, he's he, as well, serves on the Mexico Council. And uh, Jacob's also, his family, uh, they're the owner of Sierra Al- Alamo Ranch. Um, another, uh, you know, fantastic name in conservation. Um, there's some fantastic work being done in at, at Sierra El Alamo, and uh, really excited today to talk about that and about what's being done there. There's been a lot of great work done in Mexico, and I think Mexico's a real success story. So, uh, welcome to you all three, you gentlemen, and uh, thanks for tuning in. So. Yeah. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll just uh, start off with you, Clay. Um, you know, you, you've been in the, the Bighorn uh, circles for, for literally four decades, I think, uh, with your conservation work in Texas. Do um, you mind just uh, starting from, you know, your early days and talking through your conservation work and what you've done in the past um, with uh, Bighorns, Clay?
1: Sure, sure. I, I, uh, you know, I did, did several wildlife jobs, uh, but eventually went to work for uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and spent a good part of my career along the border uh, between Texas and Mexico. And so uh, I worked with, with landowners. We shared a resource along the river. And, uh, and so uh, I, I ran two wildlife management areas in, in the Trans-Pecos region of Texas, Elephant Mountain and Sierra Diablo Wildlife Management Areas. Uh, Eventually, became the mule deer, pronghorn, bighorn sheep guy for Texas Parks and Wildlife. And then uh and then stepped into some leadership roles after that that were not near as exciting as the as the bighorn work. Uh, I I actually did a year and a half stint as the wildlife director uh for Texas uh Parks and Wildlife. So uh, you know, I I is it, it uh all of all of the experience I had in the early years, it all led up to it 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 made me a better sheep biologist in the long run. And so uh, but that was definitely the most exciting part of my career, and has been. I, I retired from Texas Parks and Wildlife in 2016, and uh, went to work. I, I I quit on a Friday and started to work for Wild Sheep Foundation on Monday, and uh, and so I am in charge of the uh, Bighorn program for the Wild Sheep Foundation.
0: That's fantastic, Clay. So um, maybe if you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing with the Wild Sheep Foundation, and I know. Uh, there's the Mexico council um, as well. So maybe introduce us a little bit to that and, um, and then maybe you can, you know, do a proper introduction of Emilio and Jacob, how they fit in on the council and what that looks like. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I I was telling, telling you that I spent a good part of my career along the, along the border. I I have a really good understanding um, about the culture and how, how things work or should work and, and I have to admit, it always bothered me. Uh, a lot of things bothered me about it. I, we, we, within Texas Parks and Wildlife, we tried for decades uh, to work to work together. We actually, uh, some of our brood stock actually came from, our big orange sheep in Texas were extirpated by about 1960. And, uh, in the early years, we actually acquired 15 desert bighorn sheep from Mexico. So, uh, we actually have genetics from Mexico within our, our current sheep population. And so, but that, that was really about it. We didn't, we didn't collaborate much. And and I always felt like we should have. And when I was the bighorn sheep guy, I tried to get some things going and, uh, just, we would, we would do okay, but not, not at the level I thought it should be. And, uh. And so when I went to work for the Wild Sheep Foundation, I felt like I felt like there was a tremendous opportunity uh, to do that and to do some great things for the resource in Mexico, and not and not just bighorn sheep, but wildlife in general. Uh, something has always been missing, and uh, in in uh, the case of these these guys you you see on the screen and and others, to me it was a it was a, a leadership issue. Uh, you know, it, it may be a lack of commitment on on this side of the river as well. But one thing was pretty clear: uh, anybody that's been to Mexico one time seems to be an expert on what occurs in Mexico. And and to me, that was one of the biggest problems. In instead of letting letting these guys make their own decisions about what was important there, uh, we always did that for them. And uh, and so that's the biggest difference. I I, I I saw this need, and, and Emilio and I talked, and and Jacob and I visited. Uh, uh, Jacob came to see me. I, fir- I first met him in San Antonio, Texas, uh, at a wedding. And uh, we started talking about things then. But Emilio and I got to know each other, and I actually visited Emilio's ranch, and we talked about many things down there. And, and so it, it led to an idea. I had, to, had the right players, at the right people at the table, and so I felt like it was a tremendous opportunity to do something that no one has ever been successful at. And so, um, we, we put this thing together and, and, uh, actually worked on a charter and, and, uh, and the back in this started back in 2018 and the, uh, Walsh Foundation board of directors actually approved the charter. And, uh, the, the, the purpose of this, uh, the, I call it the Mexico council. It's a lot shorter. Uh, it does mean something that title, the, the, the Mexico Council for the Conservation and Sustainability of Desert Bighorn Sheep. That title is important for a number of reasons, and these guys can touch on that. Uh, but we formed this, this Mexico Council for five reasons, uh, to develop strategies for restoring and conserving free-ranging desert bighorn sheep um, and their habitat within Mexico. And I do, I do emphasize free-ranging, you hear hear a lot about high fences and those sorts of things and there's certainly plenty of operations and lots of folks have been successful with that there uh but but while sheep foundation wanted to emphasize the free-ranging part of it and that's led to many many things a lot of landowners are releasing sheep um and i feel i always felt like they could do better in releasing sheep into the wild and free-ranging sheep than they could uh in with with uh operations behind high fence and so we have many landowners coming to the table that are actually doing that now and so anyway that was the that was the first purpose of others to identify the challenges business both conservation and business challenges these guys are excellent business people as well uh in in addition to being tremendous resource guys Uh, and and you'll be shocked when you when you hear their history what, the, what these guys, their education, and what these guys have done. Uh, Emilio serves on the board of directors, Washi Foundation board, and, and so uh, anyway, just they have a good, they have the business minds to go along with it. I don't have that, they do. And, and so it's a, it's a really good thing. But then, then more important is to develop solutions for those challenges. Uh, we wanted to improve communications uh, between stakeholders more important we wanted to we wanted this this council to serve as the guiding force to help guide decisions of the wild sheep foundation board of directors and uh, that has paid dividends uh since 2018 when the board of directors Wild Sheep foundation board has to make a tough decision used to they would discuss it and and um, and then a decision was made and and now the first thing they do is they they come to the council and then the council provides Feedback before that decision is made, so so it's paid tremendous dividends, and so uh, so anyway, uh, that's that's kind of the background behind how the council was formed, and and uh, so it's been running about two years. We have and continue to tackle tough issues. We're looking at uh, the, some of the some of the toughest issues there in Mexico. There, there's no permanent source of funding for wildlife. Um, like, like Pittman Robertson funds, uh, in the U.S. Uh, these guys, the landowners that you see who are on this council, they do this work themselves and they pay for it out of their own pocket. And so the, the money that they generate off of hunts funds their program. I guess I should mention, uh, we have representatives from each, there are five, historically there were six states with, with wild sheep in Mexico. And so we have uh, Baja California does not hunt. And so we don't have a representative from from that state. But the others, uh, just real quick, Emilio is the chair, as you stated earlier, Um, Alejandro Espinosa from CMAX. Uh, He's also, those two guys represent Coila. Sergio Jimenez from Baja California sir. And uh, and then we have two guys from Chihuahua. Uh, Jose Vaina Jr., you guys may have met him at the sheep show. He's there every year and uh, from Texas they're not 30 miles across the border from us and so uh, so anyway really doing some great work there but they there are the two, two and then Ernesto Villa uh, Lobos uh, from uh, he represents Chihuahua and then uh, in Sonora uh, Javier RT and and uh, I want Jacob to talk a little bit about his dad the history about his father he really interesting stuff the very first outfitter in texas and so uh and i know emilio has known him for a long time as well but uh jacob represents uh is one of the representatives from sonora nio balderrama he's typically at the sheep show and then renee hernandez uh from nuevo leon Uh, so those are the representatives on the council great guys all of them good business guys good good resource guys and and have been doing it for a long time and they know they know how to raise sheep and they know how to release them into the wild and be successful and so just a, just a great bunch of guys uh, I, I, can i go in, is it okay if i if i just briefly go into some of the issues that that these guys face and then and then we can go into talking to these guys and let and you can get some feedback but i just it's it's interesting to to note that uh uh, and, and maybe I should. Do, uh, you know what? I'll hold that. I'll hold that for the the introductions. But uh, when it when it comes to sheep, uh, some of the very first documented evidence was from Coronado in the 1500s. A bighorn sheep. You can read it in the journals. Uh, that later on, there was a priest uh, in the 1700s that that described bighorn sheep. And and I want Jacob to touch on that in a minute because that occurred uh, on Sierra Alamo. And uh, so it's a really neat history uh, of, that, of that property. So Jacob can talk about that as well. But, uh, you know, it's a big or cheap or important part of the culture in, in, in Mexico. Uh, their story is much like the US. Uh, by the 1800s, uh, they were suffering from d- disease, the things that came along with c- civilization. And uh, not not much difference. Some some populations were extirpated and completely extirpated, or became extinct. And and so uh, and it, so they they've worked and and really have been successful in restoring sheep. Bighorn sheep now occur in every state where they were historically, and so they have brought them back from extinction. So they've been very successful with that. And so. Uh, I'll, uh, do you want me to introduce these guys or do you want to do it? Do you want to, do you want, how do you want me to do this?
0: Yeah, you bet, Clay. Just jump right into it. Uh, you know, I think you okay. can do a much better introduction than I can with these gentlemen. For
1: okay. Sure. Well, Emilio, like I say, he's, he's been involved in this from the beginning and, and he always has great ideas and he, he's, he's my counselor as well. He, he, uh, he keeps me from jumping off the wrong cliff from time to time. If If something happens down there. he's the he's the first guy I call because he'll he'll typically and I get excited and and I want to jump on something and he'll say slow down slow down this is no no one's gonna die here let's just let's make sure we think this through so he's a excellent counselor for me and and a good friend and I appreciate him very much and and the the board the Walsh Foundation is board is so lucky to have him serve uh such such a good man and and his family is outstanding and his son is also a business partner, real, real good, good man as well. But they're, they're, they're smart people. They understand the resource. Emilio got his master's in wildlife at Texas Tech University, and I, I don't know if you knew that, but he, uh, he actually worked for Ducks Unlimited for a while and did did other things. So he's he's been around the block. Uh, he he understands the the art and science of wildlife management and what it means and it, all the moving parts. So. He's he's just for me personally I, I I don't think I could run this thing properly without him without his guidance and and so great guy they, they run as you said earlier La Pamossa ranch really neat story uh, about wildlife restoration uh, one that needs to be told uh, and, and uh, it's one that needs to be told in Mexico uh, and, and that's that's one of the projects that we have going we actually have a film project going that that we're working on that that is intended to educate uh some of the important government people uh about the importance and the role of hunting uh with bighorn sheep uh in mexico so we have big plans and and these guys have some of the connections to, to to reach government at the highest levels and so that's important too so uh and emilio if i if i left anything out i'm sorry and and uh, you can you can jump in here in a minute, and then and then there's there's Jacob sitting there. All I think all of those cheap heads behind him, they're poached. He he stole those from from his own property. Uh, no, J- Jacob is a is a good guy. You know he's got uh, there there. He has a bunch of brothers, and they're all lawyers, and he's the engineer of the family. And uh, Jacob's another one that who has provided excellent guidance to me as well. He's been a good friend. And, has a great family. They all work together. Everyone plays a plays a role in 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 their operation at Sierra Alamo. It's a top notch operation, and and uh, I'll let Jacob tell you about it. I, it's they're they're a lot of fun. I, I I enjoy it, and I and I hate this COVID thing because I don't get to see my friends in Mexico. I don't get to go down there, and uh, I, I try to go as much as I can. They're just great guys. Uh, uh, so Jacob. I'll let you whatever I whatever I missed. He's been doing it a long time as well, and and uh, he and his he and his brothers and his dad. He needs to talk about his dad how long he's been doing it as well. And I think Emilio and and Jacob's dad have been friends for years as well. And so so anyway, I hope I've answered your your question.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Clay. That's fantastic and just a great introduction to both gentlemen. Um, and let's just jump off here with Emilio. Emilio, first of all, I have to echo. Uh, Clay's comments there, you know, uh, working with you on the board of directors of the foundation, um, I've, I've gotten to know you a lot better and just respect all the work that you do and, and see how busy you are and how involved you are. But I also know your um, things go well beyond wild sheep that you, uh, you've you got your uh, your hands in a lot of uh, different uh, piles and, and doing a lot of work. Uh, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're also in the real estate business as well. Um, is that correct? Or just you're on mute there, Emilio. So I have to turn that off.
2: Okay. Yes. Um, thank you. Uh, um, yes, we we are in real estate. My father, he start he started the business in real estate in the fifties, and uh, now I'm passing it to my son, and so it will be the third generation from there. And the same thing with the ranch. We we had this ranch, La Palmosa, since 1963. It's almost 60 years ago, and um, it's in the heart of Coahuila, where the historical habitat for desert horn has been known for so many years. As a matter of fact, I have a quote from some journal uh, the, from the University of Arizona, they did some study and they found out that the last decibel horns they saw in Coahuila, that was in 1979. And uh, the problem in Coahuila, uh, Coahuila and Nuevo León, uh, they, they are neighbors, there's two states. Nuevo León is uh, compared with Coahuila, is a uh, Fairly small state. However, we have a population of almost five million people, and we consume <clears throat> a lot of baby goat. We call it cabrito. Uh, that that um, um, that um, is kind of a problem for desert horn because of disease, as you know. And in Mexico, we have two type of lands, which is a Ejido land and private land. Both are private, I should say. But the Ejido is a, a commune system where several bu- families live out of that piece of land. Usually it's a very large piece of land. However, it's a private too. However, in the, um, most of the Ejidos in the state of Coahuila, they raise goats we're talking about the chihuahuan desert here and um this uh lack of water and conditions are very uh, poor and uh, so they keep these goats and and they're not they don't take how should i say sanitary precautions with 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 these goats, sometimes they run free, and they get lost, and they end up somewhere else. And that, that's what happened in the 60s and 70s. All these ejidos, they got from federal programs from the government goats for them to to raise, and that led to the extirpation or most of the populations of desert horns were wiped out due to disease. As you know, when they get in touch with uh, domestic sheep and goats, well, they usually get sick, they get pneumonia. And that's what happened because um, 51% of the whole country of Mexico is a hero. And in the Chihuahuan Desert, is more than 60. I should say 65% is under hido, and they all have goats. So that's one of the uh, tough issues and that's what we are working with them. We're trying to teach them that there are so many other ways to to do a, a living out of, of the desert and wildlife in a sustainable way is uh, a way for them to make a living. So we're working on, on that too. So it's been so many years in 63 that we start working in the ranch and uh, probably in the late 80s, we took all, all the cattle out and we left the ranch. It's about 100,000 acres, well, a little bit more than that. And uh, we left the whole place for wildlife, for flora and fauna. And uh, in 2000, 2003, we brought this the first Decibi des- des- Horns from Tiburon Island back to, to the state, back to Coahuila, back to La, La Palmosa. And um, we've been working for almost now 20 years with with these uh, populations, there were two introductions. One was 69. We had a reserve area, as Clay mentioned it. First, we had a, a large enclosure where we could uh, keep predators and we could uh, uh, take care of them for two three years. And uh, then the second year, we brought another 40, 50. So at, uh, we started with uh, probably 100, I should say 20, 130 uh, original animals. That's about 20 years ago. And then we took off the uh, area, this reserve area, we call it the incubator, and uh, let them roam free in the mountains. And since then, we, we've been working a lot with water. It's no water. It's pretty much none in, in a natural way. It's a, it's a little, little tiny spring that sometimes goes dry uh, too often. And uh, so we've been working on uh, some uh, watershed uh, catchments where we have some, um, uh, how do you say, big tanks where we keep some of the water and and then we start dealing wells, and from there, a lot of miles and miles, and miles of, of black pipe to bring water to different, to the edge of the mountains and to the canyons. And, and now we have pretty much water all over the place, and uh, so they are doing very well. And now we have a population, I should say, I don't know, probably around 600, 700 animals. Roman amazing. So that's that's how it's now. After twenty years of hard work and uh, working with them,
0: that's such a fantastic story, Emilio. So, um, with with that, Emilio, you mentioned the disease issue and goats. Um, are you guys worried about that with your ranch in your area? Is there is there goats in the area, is that a risk? Uh, is there a chance of a disease event with you guys? Or um, I, I think that being free range, that's the major concern I would imagine. So is that something you guys have to worry about there?
2: Yes, yes, that's, the, that's one of the main concerns. Of course, uh, we have the hidos very far away from, from our property, and it's also a very large, and they are down in the valley. That's where, the, where these ejidos and these populations, and that's, that is one of our main projects, working with them. Uh, all the people that work with us, that they serve as a guides and they work, they come from the heroes, from the neighbors, the heroes. And after being uh, uh, serving as a guide for the past, I don't know, four, five, six years, well, they, they know and they realize that a uh, sustainable harvest of wildlife can be more profitable than uh, f- uh, a bunch of goats. And they are taking that back to the to the Hido. And, uh, and, and again, is our main challenge and our main project, working with the Hidos, that uh, they have the potential to have wildlife, of course, mule deer and uh, there are some whitetail Not that much, because uh, again we are in the desert, even though it's the subspecies Mickey Wanense species down in the valley and the Carmen Mountains up in the in the mountain, and they are very well adapted to the desert. However, the main two species is the desert, desert horns, of course, mule deer, and I I, failed to mention we also have a program we started with the New Mexico uh wildlife department and we got some pronghorns. Pronghorns, uh, we used to have pronghorns horns all the way down to Querétaro. I should say probably half more than half of Mexico had pronghorns 400 years ago. And it's very well documented and uh, by the Spaniards that there were pronghorns. And but those that were wiped out mainly by um, uh, poaching. At night, they they would go out and kill them at at night to provide meat uh, to some groups. And uh, they were wiped out in the 50s. I have a report from um, the state government that uh, the last the uh, horns they saw in Coahuila, that was in 1954 55. And we got a group of about, uh, I remember the number, but I, I believe it was about 60. And that was also about uh, 15, 18 years ago. And uh, they are doing very well. We have a population probably over 300, 250, 200, 250. And uh, they are doing very well. So we have introduced what you, the species that historically live in that area. So now we have the punghorn too. And and again, just to finish my, my comment, we are working, it's our first and main project, working with the ejidos and teach them and show them how sustainable harvest of wildlife can be more profitable and it can be Better for for the wildlife and uh, because uh, if you want to harvest few animals, you have to take care of the habitat. You have to take care of the rest of the population. We harvest uh, three, four percent of the whole population. That means if we take three rams out of that population, we have to keep up with 97 in the best health possible, in the best habitat possible. So we, we take care of the flora and fauna, for us to be able to harvest that three percent. And even it's a small take, a three percent is more profitable than have over overgrazing with with goats, even with uh, cows. Even though the land there, the the the. Chihuahuan Desert is not um, the most viable land for for cows. However, it is for, for goats. And uh, so that's what we're doing pretty much.
0: That's an amazing success story, Emilio. So you're saying there's 600 now. Um, is that approaching the carrying capacity of your property, or do you see there more opportunity for growth there? Or is that kind of is that kind of the best you can do right now uh, it sounds like a, obviously a very healthy herd but is there more opportunity
2: well we have, we're working uh, within we have two neighbors one one of the neighbors he has over 200,000 200 mil 200, 200, yeah 200,000 acres and one of the side, one of the neighbors the other neighbor he has another probably 80 90,000 acres and uh, we're working with them we already tra- trans how to say translocate some of these desert horns to their properties so there is a lot of land to to grow and um, with with the private uh, our neighbors they do take care of the land they do have cattle one of them had goats and he took the goats out about probably four or five years ago and uh, we showed them what we had, and uh, we explained him how um, it's a big threat for for the population of the Serby Horns to have so close the 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 goats. And so he took out the the goats, and um, now they're working with us, and they're working with the desert Horn population. So uh, in total, we'll we'll end up with probably. Close to 400,000 acres, and I, I want to mention. Remember that in Mexico, 100% of the land is private. We do not have public land like you do in Canada, like in the States, where you can hunt and/or where the federal or state government takes care of this wild, wildlife population. And here in Mexico, everything is under private land. So this is a burden. Is a it's a big load we have to carry. So conservation is done, and Jacobo, he, he can tell you about it a lot. And, and of course, Clay can tell you how uh, most of the, well, not most, all, all of the efforts here in Mexico is done by private individuals. Otherwise, we don't, we don't get any funding for, from the government. And uh, we don't get any money from the state or federal government.
0: Yes. Yeah, so the Mexico Council it consists um, exclusively of the landowners. There's no government representation there. Is that correct? Is that, that
2: that's correct? Yeah. The, the The whole idea was to have some of the people uh, involved in each state. Those people who spent success in the state. So we can we could be all together and we could see uh, where. the the direction where we we want to go. And one of the main uh, programs we have, and and I would like Clay to to explain it better, is about the CITES. CITES and um, of course they start working with us in Mexico 30-40 years ago. But now 20-30 years later, we have a population like Clay mentioned earlier in every single state where we used to have. When the the scientists people start working with SB Horns, uh, mainly uh, Baja, both Baja, Baja Sur, Baja Norte, and Sonora, they they were were the only ones with in populations, Jacobo can tell you better uh, numbers, but populations were very low. Now, we have in both Baja, Baja Norte, Baja Sur, in Sonora, uh, Coahuila, Nuevo León, and in the same Chihuahuan desert area of, of Zacatecas that borders Coahuila. And um, our populations are way several times more than what used to be 20 years ago. So SIDES is a, an issue we're working on as a council
1: yes yes we've 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 done uh several things uh uh the the president actually formed a you guys may remember it was a conservation committee uh that was that uh, ryan zinke formed and uh, in the u.s and emilio and i went and presented information about about this council and the program in Mexico in an effort to may and and while at that meeting we we met the lead person from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service who deals with that who we're asking for help to try to reduce some of the uh, change the restrictions the status of that species in in Mexico. I mean honestly there are there are some states in Mexico that have more sheep than than, uh, than the states in desert bighorns in, in various states in, in the U.S. But yet we have no restrictions here and they have to jump through a lot of hoops. So that's one of the, one of the, the issues, very complicated, v- extremely complicated, but it's one of the issues that, w- that we are tackling right now.
0: So Clay, on that note, like I know in, I think it was 93, the Mexican government banned hunting, right, there was, and that was, there was that two year hiatus until 95. Yep and we know Baja is still not uh, open. So is that is that driven through CITES or is it a uh, Mexican, is CITES issues around the Mexican government or, or I, I know it's complicated, but is there a, bit, a brief explanation? It's,
1: it's politics really. Um, there's there's a university that that was strongly opposed to it and uh, to hunting. And and it's, uh, you know, sadly that's, uh, that state still has has many bighorn sheep. there's probably more po- poaching that occurs in that state than anywhere else because there's because of hunting is not allowed and so people sneak in and and do various things. but no, it's 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 politics uh, and these guys can add to that uh, more than I can but your your dates are accurate. Uh, there were some experimental experimental things done years ago and and, uh, but we have been approached with people who are interested. Um, I guess the last thing I, I, I wanted to mention, I, I, I told you about that conservation committee, but we have met with all of the wildlife directors that uh, we did the uh, the World Mountain Ungulate Conference in Bulgman, um here about a year ago. And uh, so we had members, we had the state, the the state wildlife directors from from that these guys work with several of those guys were at that conference, so it gave us an opportunity to sit down with them and visit about some of the things that some of the challenges that that we face or that these guys face that we needed help with. So so uh, you you'd ask earlier about is the government are they on this council? They really aren't, but we we involve them when we need to. I guess I'll just say it that way. And uh, and so I think there's some opportunity there in the future as well.
0: Well, fantastic, Clay. Thanks. Um, well, Jacob, maybe let's just jump in with you for a minute here. A little talk a little bit about your history in uh, Sierra El Alamo and, uh, and your family's history and in, in um, with uh, bighorns and um, and your your guiding uh, history and and the ranch itself.
3: Thank you. Thank you, uh, Kyle uh well before i start talking about sierra el Alamo, uh there's a lot of background of uh family involved in, in the hunting business okay so uh like clay say before uh my dad started doing the outfitting business uh just a hair before i born so we're talking about 40 43 years ago and uh from the same uh, business and the same situation, he, he started seeing the opportunity to grow his uh, uh, book of uh, a species to hunt here in Sonora. And in that time, he started uh, doing the, the hunting business in, uh, in uh, just for dogs and then jump up to cooze deer at the same time with a mule deer. So that becomes really popular now, uh, hunting those species here in, in the States of Samara is like uh, uh, the dream for a lot of hunters in the, in, in the deer. Uh, so, uh, during that time, uh, he he, fought, he started seeing that, and he started seeing that the business was good. So he opened uh he think that uh, that he he started raising uh, exotic animals like uh Texas was doing in uh in that time but uh that was a a, a good a, a good idea so uh he started raising uh, exotic anim- animals like uh animals from africa you know playing game uh, those those kind of, of animals but uh, at that time, he realized to uh, Texas wasn't from of of this for twenty years, you know. So we were out of the out of the market and uh, trying to sell sell a uh, uh, a black book here for a double price that uh, selling in Texas was, uh, that, you know, it was it was out of the business, yeah, out of the market. So um, at that time, he realized and change the view, you know, hey, how about if we start raising the endemic animals that we have here in the state. So, uh, there was a couple of mule deers in that, in that ranch. We're talking about a ranch, uh, at that time it was just only 2000 acres. So, uh, they decide to, to get, uh, to bigger the area, you know, to get a, a bigger area, and, and, and they open another another uh, big part of the ranch, and they fence a total of five thousand acres, and they introduce more more, uh, excuse me, more deer, and specifically uh, specific uh, mule deer in the in the ranch, and they start doing really well, and that was early nineties. At that time, also the federal government gave the opportunity to start raising sheep and start helping the population of the sheep. You know, all, back then only uh, uh, the federal government used to hunt or, or do the hunts in a uh, in different, uh, especially baja in some places here in Sonora. So there was yes. The population at that time was really low. We're talking about here in Sonora, probably no more than a thousand animals. And, and we're talking about uh, only 20 years ago, okay? Uh, now on this day, we have 10 times that. And, uh, and I will explain you why. Uh, so, so we start raising sheep in a high fence. Uh, Five thousand acres. Uh, we start with a and that was that was funny. We start with a with with animals from the zoo. Yeah, we start with a couple of ewes, a couple of rams. After that, we, we we start buying from from Tiburon Island, just a couple of sheep, and from another from two different areas from mainland. So uh, in from the. From 92 to the next 10 years, the sheep was doing okay. And then uh, there was uh, opportunity to buy more sheep from Tiburon. So we introduced a little bit more sheep, uh, probably 40 animals uh, back then. And uh, and since that time, and now we already produce more than a thousand animals in that hyphen. So, a lot of those goes, uh, we sell to another state like Chihuahua, Coahuila, Nuevo León. Uh, we're talking about probably from, I was uh, probably 15 years ago. So from 15 years or 10 years and now uh, we stopped selling ships to other states, you know because uh, those states, they already have uh, animals that buy from uh, private uh, projects like us. But right now, here in the state, there's uh, 47 high fences that we produce sheep. So probably, well, not probably, we're talking about 6,000 animals in fence right now, okay? And the rest is in, 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 in free range, in the different mountain range in, in the state. So uh, it, and it is when Sierra Alamo uh, show up, you know, uh, for the last, we owned that property uh, 20 years ago, but uh, we didn't develop uh, a conservation program back then. We were, uh, that land was, uh, here in the state of Sonora, we uh, one of the main resource, uh, uh, jobs or, or 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 what the uh, is the cattle business. You know, cattle business here in Sonora is really popular. But that area of Sierra Alamo is not the best condition to to raise cows. Okay, was a community land. Was a community land. But they were uh, in the mining business for, since the Spaniards, you no, know, a long time ago. So uh, that, there was sheep there, there's, a, a, I'll, I will try to, to say that, that the name better graphics, like not driving, it's, uh, they're driving, but not with paint, it's with, with rocks, with rocks, you know, so there's in the rocks, right there and uh since hundreds of years okay so and there's sheep in those drawings okay so uh there's been sheep in that mountain range for several years but for other activities from the people they push away and they kill a lot of the of the animals so, uh when we start develop this program. Uh, 2006 in November 2000, 2016. I mean, uh, four years ago, uh, the federal government gave the 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 rights to uh, or, or or the the yes to to start develop a program to release sheep in the area in health, to increase population, increase uh, blood line, and uh, so the first heart of sheep that we released in that land, we released in the uh, middle of uh, 2017, okay? Uh, we start with a 25 sheep. Uh, uh, 60% of that was used, 40% was rams. There's a formula there that you need to keep it uh, if you wanna do it in the right way. And uh, the animals that we release in that area, came from our hyphens, okay, and uh, this this uh, kind of like system is uh, is developed now for a, for a different landowners and 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 now you hear more people releasing sheep in, in, in different areas in different sea areas of, of mountain ranges here in the state. There there is a goal to release. Uh, 500 sheep in in a period of uh, six years. And so far, so far there's been releasing uh, close to 400 in in different mountain ranges. Just in Sierra Alamo, uh, we already released 106 in two years and a half. Our goal, our personal goal is to release 200 sheep in five years or less. Okay, uh, we want to fi- finish there or end there? Probably not. Uh, they're doing really well. Uh, of course, there's a lot of work to do before that. Uh, like Emilio said, we, we have the same situation. You know, water in the desert is the is the most uh, is the most precious uh, uh, natural. Or the most pressured thing that you, you're looking for, because there's no water, there's no way to to uh, to success in this program. Uh, especially animals that they've been drinking water in a high fence in waterholes, you know, so or, or water places. So you need to give the water, and then they start looking for a natural way to 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 obtain that water. And we're talking about uh, a cactus, you know, any plant, you know, even there's no much water physical in the ground. There's a lot of moist every every morning, you know, uh, and they can have it from from the plants or even like I've mentioned before, cactus is one of the most or main uh, resources of water, you know. So. Uh, This ranch, uh, this ranch is uh, 80,000 acre ranch. It's a free range area. Uh, uh, The good thing that we have in that area is, uh, or that mountain range, we don't have neighbors that share the Sierra. We have neighbors on the flats, but the ramps, they don't go there, you know. And uh, so, around those flats, flats, there's uh, agriculture. Uh, uh ranches okay uh, around that uh, uh uh ranch is uh this right ra- this ranch is located in the north what uh northwest of the of the of the of, the, of sonora okay uh, in the area close to Caborca, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not far from the border uh and it is not too far from the ocean you know we're talking about probably 20 miles from the ocean and in uh, another 20 miles or 30 miles to the to the border you know? so we're located in a really prime area uh, it's an isolated uh, mountain range and they have the all the characteristics to, to the ramp success different like Emilio was uh, saying before, we don't have the problem with the goats. We don't have goats in in, in, in this area. So uh, diseases, there is not a big issue here. Uh, it's, it's more issue poaching or, or keep the locals away, you know, because uh, in this mountain range, even we don't have a cattle fence around the, the, the property, you know, so uh, so basically, it's an imaginary line between me and my neighbor, you know, and uh, so it just keep, keep this uh, subdivided or divided by roads, you know, so we have roads all, all around the perimeter and uh, it's, it's how we, we start working on that, you know, uh, we, uh, it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of money, like Emilio said, you know, we don't have the support. Uh, a state or federal government, we only have the agree of those people to uh, to start doing something for conservation, you know. Uh, so everything has to uh, has to pay by your own pocket uh, or find organizations to to uh, help this uh, this kind of project, you know. And of course, you know, hunting is 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 essential tool for us to give back something to the same land, you know. So yes, we hunt there, but just a couple, just a couple of sheep too, uh, to have resources, to have money to uh, to uh, increase the population, you know, to to bring more sheep, to uh, develop water uh, system, you know, to drill. Even it's a desert, there's water, you know, and, and we drill not too deep, you know, probably uh, 2,000 feet. Uh, it's really shallow water, so uh, superficial, you know. They call it, and uh, so small uh, projects to find a, a water tank and give gravity to places so that they can find a water hole, you know. And it's, it's how we've been. Uh, working from the north side to the south part of the of the land you know just going around the the just going around the the property take you a take you a lot of time you know we're talking about 75 miles in tough terrain it takes you the whole day to to go around the, the, the property you know, I don't know if, if I'm doing the conversation on, on the way that you wanna hear it or if you have some questions, I can I can respond to that. Uh, you tell me about it. There.
0: I do have one for you, Jacob. So, you know, the, Mexico's a huge success story in terms of what's happened with uh, bighorns over the last 30 years and other species as well. Um, and I know Mexico in the late 1800s, 1894, um, enacted legislation to protect wildlife, but it really wasn't enforced and um, I think it would you know sheep were extirpated in the 20s in uh, uh, Chihuahua, I think it was. So you know we've seen this massive success story. Is this all on the backs of private landowners and 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 really using hunting as that catalyst? Um, you know what's driving that? It sounds to me like the government has that there's zero funding and zero support. So is there any government funding or any other organizations? Um, that are putting money into the resource to to bring them back or is it strictly um, gentlemen like yourselves that are care about the resource and, and using it through hunting to that as a, a catalyst to build it up or is there other opportunities as well beyond that
3: well uh, that's, that's a good question here here in this, in, in Mexico yes of course you, you, you can find uh, probably uh, the, another uh private uh, uh, companies that probably they have in his, uh, his uh, records or, or, or his things help, you know, in cons- conservation. But uh, those doors, are, they are really hard to knock, you know. So uh, what we did in our case, uh, we, we started looking for organizations such a Wall Street Foundation, you know, and, 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 and we knock doors, you know. Hey, we developed this. How you think uh, uh, there's there's a way to 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 found this, you know? And and, and, and they have they have grants, they have grants, and, and they help uh, all over the world. So so we apply there, and we apply to another sponsors, and and. and and that's the way that, 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 that we're founding uh, a little bit of the what we're we doing, you know. So uh, they help us and, and of course, it has to be also money in your pocket, you know. It's something that, that you're doing for a, for a reason, you know. So you develop this for your own reason, you know. At the end, it's private land, it's my land, but I'm doing something for the conservation of the species. You know, like I said before, I don't, I don't have fences. You know, these sheep, they can travel from my mountain range to the next one, you know. And that's the purpose of this, you know. We want to start seeing another animals from other uh, Sierras, came to all Sierras, and animals from all Sierras going that way. And that's the way that, uh, in some reason, the genetic they will start getting better, you know, and uh, seeing more sheep, more newborns uh, better quality or horns better better trophies you know and uh, and of course patience and time is is the most important you know they, they, they don't they don't grow with horns when they're baby you know so they, you need a lot of years you know we're, we're talking about 10, 11 12 years to to make good quality horns you know in that time there's a lot of work to do uh, is a, it's, it's a lot of headaches, but a lot of satisfaction. You well
1: know? wow. yeah, I might add something to that, Kyle. Uh, you, and, and Jacob touched on it, but you know it's um, the, the, the system in Mexico, it, I mean, it is what it is. It, it is on the backs of landowners and and which you know there are a lot of positive things about that. You know there's you don't have the bureaucracies that you see in many of the US states. Uh, I mean those guys those guys take care of their own business but uh, but I think that's that's a critical point. The private landowners to me, that is the most important factor for all for restoring and managing wildlife in Mexico. That is the, the most important factor is private landowners and and so I guess it, along those lines, you know these guys have have generated thousands and thousands of dollars, just, just a handful of these guys, uh, probably over $10 million uh, through auction tags at the Wild Sheep Foundation. And, and uh, you know, some of this, some of this money, they're, they're helping fund their own con- – it, it funds their, their work. But in addition to that, some of the grants that – through our grant and aid program uh, that Jacob was talking about, these guys are actually funding each other's work. And uh, so it's really, a, really a neat deal. So I, I, I can't tell you how proud I am to work with these guys. It's just, it's just, uh, it, for me, it's the most exciting stuff that's going on in North America right now. Uh, just, just tremendous good wildlife work, and I'm, I'm just proud of them. I can't say enough good.
0: Well, one thing that came to mind when Jacob was talking there, Clay, was. Um... You know the reference to you know the free range and letting you know your your sheep you, you, they're your resource. You let them go now. If you're not keeping your habitat up, those sheep aren't going to hang around. So there's a huge onus on the landowner there to make sure that the habitat is really so. you, you know you're providing a great environment for them. If you're not taking care of your land, you're not going to have sheep on there. They're just going to go to the neighbors or or someone else's. So um, yeah, it, it's all about uh, you know it's about the resource too, but the land and taking care of your land and making sure there's water and an opportunity for them to to thrive in that environment.
1: Otherwise they're going to take off. So, um, you know, you're, you're exactly right. It's some of the habitat work these guys are doing are are incredible. Not these guys, these guys, they were in it for the right reasons. And had a clear understanding of where, where it needed to go and, and what, what conservation meant to the people of Mexico and, and how important it was. And not, not all did. I can tell you that some of the some folks would call me and landowner would call me and they would, and I would say well, you, know, you would benefit more if you took down your fence and started releasing sheep into the wild and and of course these these are sheep that were tough to acquire uh, for those folks and they would say you want me to do what, oh, you know open the gate and turn them loose and it, it it was a kind of a unique concept at the time it was real different working with these guys I mean they. They clearly understood uh, where it needed to go.
0: Fantastic. Clay, I'm just going to back up the bus a little bit. And Emilio, Jacob, Clay, any one of you guys can comment on this. Can you just give us a an idea of what the wild sheep numbers have looked like, the desert bighorn sheep numbers have looked like in Mexico? You know, obviously the 1700s, they were, they were prolific and, and they're back today. But just talk us numbers. Like what, what do they look like? I know they were extirpated in certain regions in the 20s. and so the 60s were bad, and then there's been this growth. So what are we looking at numbers-wise, historically?
1: Well, his, historically, you know, that's, that's tough to come by. Uh, there's been a little bit of work. Emilio referenced some of it. Uh, but it's one of the things that we're working on right now is to try to get a picture of where they occurred. And, and we believe that, that uh, there's a, a mountain range near Emilio that we believe has bighorn sheep in them now uh then no one ever surveys or and so we're looking at doing some things there maybe in the future uh maybe conducting some surveys but that's a a really good question but a tough one to answer as far as as far as historic uh, you know you can it's it's easy to, to pick the ones that you know Coila and chihuahua that where well, they were completely gone uh but uh the others it's a little bit tougher to come up with the numbers and and some of the, even, even in the U.S., the numbers, you see them range from thousands to 2 million plus um, in North America. And, and even that's debatable. Uh, and so, but now, in, in, if you put all the work that these guys are doing together, if you combine all that, they're probably, you know, 14,000 plus sheep in Mexico now and uh and it, it, of course you know sonora has a lot and and uh but i mean the work that Coila between between simax and and uh la palmosa i mean those guys have i mean they've they've complete it was it was zero uh they had no sheep whatsoever and and now they're thousands uh between the two i think emilio referenced 700 but and uh I think Sumex is kind of up and down and, but they're working towards the same thing and releasing animals into the wild and that sort of thing. So, so the historic questions are tough, but uh, if you look at, and, and then that's not, a lot of those numbers don't include all the high fence stuff, you know, the pen sheep that you, that you hear about. And, um, and so, uh, some of the things that happened in, in the, the hitos or villages, there, there are things like that whether the, where the numbers are not, I mean, there are folks that have sheep on five acre tracks, uh, things like that. And, and it's, uh, like I said, the, the fence part of it is, uh, I tell when people ask me about what's going on down there, I always try to tell them that, look, we're, we're trying to change the way people from north of the border think about Mexico, and we're trying to wait, change the way Mexico thinks about conservation and restoring sheep. And so we're trying to meet somewhere in the middle of all that. And these guys, the, the, the leadership, it's, that's what was always missing. And, and they came along and, at the right time and did good things, but it, it's working. It's, it, numbers continue to climb.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, Emilio, if if we could, could you just talk a little bit about um, the council and sort of what, what you guys are focusing on right now? I know Clay talked a little bit about the priorities but you know if you is it the goat issue is it government engagement getting the government on board what's your guys what's your big fish to fry right now for your uh, the council
2: okay the the council is looking for more of a mexican uh, issues not a local issues we might have some issues in coahuila different than sonora Different than Chihuahua or Baja. And like Baja North is not hunting at all. It's close. So we're focusing, and and again I think Clay be the best person to to explain it, is on those issues that affect um, wildlife and especially desert big horns, like Cyrus is one of it. And and another issue is the the way they see wildlife management, how they see wildlife conservation, and how they see uh, sustainable harvest. We still have a big group of people. I should put it that way. A big group that think that hunting is harm harmful, is bad for 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 wildlife, they think that hunting is kind of a depredation of the populations. And we are trying to send a message and explain them how sustainable harvest is one of the best ways to conserve, and that we need to harvest a little bit so we can put back the money. In at, at least I can talk about La Palmosa, 100% of the money we get out of our tax, they go back to the project, 100%. And, uh, and they don't see that, some pe- some group, again, non-hunting group. And, uh, and uh, we all, we're working on a little video, film, that uh, to try to to explain how hunting saved desert bighorns in Mexico, <clears throat> and that's a fact. And uh, because populations were declining and declining, and they were almost uh, well extinct in Coahuila and Chihuahua and, and North Zacatecas, which is part of the Chihuahuan Desert. In populations in, in Sonora, they were pretty low. And thanks to hunters, American and Canadian hunters that are willing to pay large amount of money for the privilege of harvesting one ram, that money goes to conservation. And that's the, the way we, the private owners, are able to to keep up with this project. Otherwise, only very, very few people in Mexico would be able to to do it. Um, uh, We need we need the support, of course, of an organization like the Walsh Foundation to to be able to carry on with these uh, big projects and to have the people interested in wildlife in Mexico and especially in desert horns. So um, one of the main projects is try to teach people in the federal government, even though they are not putting any money, but they do enforce the law, they do enforce and, and they do still run uh, all, all the permits and tax. And, and sometimes they think when they are issuing tax, they are killing the population of the Horns. Some of them, they even think that it's a bad thing to issue a, a tax. And we need to teach them, and we are doing it, how that's a sustainable harvest. And sustainable harvest means to take just a little bit of the whole resource so we can uh, not hurt the production of the population, the recruitment, but to have an incentive on the owners. Here in Mexico, the tax goes to the to the owners is not drawings. We have zero. You cannot buy a tag by like in the states in Canada that you pay a little bit and you get in kind of a ruffle or a drawing and then you get a, a permit. Well, in Canada and United States, you might go to some of the public lands where they, they have this, um um population. However, here in Mexico, the owners get the, which is a big big incentive, incentive. Right? Uh, we get the tax, landowner tax, and we're able to to funnel some of this money into this project. And also as we are teaching HIDOS, we're teaching some other landowners trying to convince them in Coahuila, say, okay, take out your goats, take out your cattle, take care of the habitat. Habitat is the the key. And of course, um, water and so many other issues. However, um, overgrazing is a big problem. Overgrazing with goats, you have twice the problem. First, overgrazing is the, the, the degradation of the habitat. But also, this is so um, we're working very much on and trying to, to send a message about ethical harvest, ethical hunting is one of the most important means of conservation. That's how we can do conservation investment in conservation programs.
0: Well, my hats off to you, Emilio, for setting that example for your your fellow landowners in Mexico and Jacob. And I know there's you guys aren't the only two, but uh, you certainly are the leaders in the uh, in the industry. And it's just uh, an honor to see what you guys are doing, and, and we're so thankful for that. And and then play the support you're giving there as well through the Wild Sheep Foundation and the great work they're doing. So um, just one one more question on the on the resource, I guess. Before I, I want to talk to you guys about what it's like to come and hunt on the ranch. I want to talk about that in a minute here. But before we go in that, um, you know, you brought up a bunch of issues, Amelia. You talked about, um, you know, the issue with goats and disease. Uh, You talked about uh, overgrazing. Uh, We haven't talked much about predators or poaching. What is the biggest threat to wild sheep, to desert bighorns right now? Is it, I guess, probably the disease issue? What else is high on that list? Is poaching, predators, what else comes to mind there?
2: Okay, well, I guess it would be different. Sonora would be different. Chihuahua, Guahuila, Baja, and um, poaching can be a problem. Like Jacobo, uh, the Sierra Alamo in the Arte family, um, they they own that, but they don't have, like he said, they, they don't have even cattle fences. So he might get some people poaching because he has some—I mean—so many neighbors, or they can, or they can just come in and try to poach. So it's different. I don't know exactly how how the problem is over there. And then uh, the predation. There are some other places where they have much more problem with the predation than uh, than others. Uh, government state government and federal government they do issue some permits to if you have let's say a mountain lion that is causing problems you could or you can go and ask for a permit to try to control one individual animal however again um, different places different different problems and we have to um, deal with those issues in Coahuila and uh chihuahua so a very really success story is like Coahuila. and uh they used to have uh Deserby horns and then i don't know what time of i mean what year what, they they wipe out all the population and like the uh, the ballena family are bringing back these uh Deserby horns also from sonora pretty much everything came from from Sonora, for for Coahuila and Chihuahua, either from mainland Sonora or for, from Tiburón or from both. And uh, but ag- but again, uh, those are more specific uh, problems that uh, different issues. And and Jacobo can tell you much more. He he did mention about poaching, and of course we have to have a lot of people just uh, driving around all every day and looking at night for spotlights and for some headlights that uh, you see a vehicle that work. you shouldn't have any vehicles uh, trying to, to get them and of course poaching. but again that's a, we don't have any game ordinance. i don't think the state of Coahuila, which is huge probably has one game warden for the whole state and I guarantee you they don't have a pickup and they don't have any gas to put on. If they do use their own vehicles to move around, they don't have any gasoline to to put on on the truck. There's none, non-existent. again, is on the owner's interest of keeping polishing. Out. And there is the same thing Sonora, in Chihuahua, Baja. So you could ask Jacob, Jacob.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah I agree with uh, with Emilio. You know, I think, like, like he said, uh, every state has its own issues, its uh, uh, different situations. Yeah, uh, in, in our case, like Emilio said, uh, not having a fence. It's a, it's a big issue because, uh, anybody can trespass, but, uh, like, like, uh, but constantly we, 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 we have different people checking around, you know, every day, every next day, you know, we check for tracks or even we saw the uh, people walking or or, or on trucks, uh, so what we do is is, is create create a, a conscious in the people, you know. So uh, we have a lot of uh, signs uh, all around the, the property uh, mentioning what is inside, you know. Uh, this a program for conservation of the species of desert sheep is protected by the government and it's always uh watching by the private people even yeah uh, it, it but but uh, so creating uh, a conscience in the people this uh is the, is the most important you know so uh every every time that we that we saw uh people that, that happened in the first year you know that happened in the first year and now uh, like i said that land was from pro uh we, we owned a lot many years ago but we didn't develop nothing because my miners was uh, taking care of the of the, of the, of the area but uh several years ago we we're talking about six years ago they, they stopped mining uh, there's a lot there's gold in the property but uh there's no profitable now to to extract that gold you know so they they stopped those mines uh, several years ago and uh so basically was uh no nobody lands you know because there's there no fence a lot of people go in and out and the property so so what we did is first put a lot of signs around the our property and uh announcing what we're doing there and uh and, and, and be present you know so the first year a lot of watching around watching around and uh, people that we saw, yeah, a couple of times we we kick out uh, uh, hunters, you know, poachers. Uh, 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 fortunately, not having a trophy, you know, so or not having a even a ewe or lamb, whatever, because they go for they go for meat, you know. They're not professional hunters. They go for meat, you know, and, and they don't care if it's a male, female, whatever it is, you know. And they look for deer, sheep, whatever. Uh, now that is it's okay, you know. Is uh, now neighbors, uh, um, people close to the neighbors, they know that that area is protected, and, and they're working in, in a special project. And and the and the neighbors know some of these day they will have the benefit of all this work, you know, because animals travel, you know, and uh, if they think next mountain range that doesn't belong to us, they have the, a better condition to go, they will go and check the animals, you know. So this is, that, that is one issue. The other, of course, like all, all, all the other all, all ranches, predators, cat, any cat, uh, 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 bobcat or mountain lion uh, is a big predator for, for, for us. Not, not the coyotes and all cats, you know, cats, hunts all the time, you know, but any, any small cat is, 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 is a, is a thing to watch, you know? So, so we try to, uh, we, we catch a lot of cats, you know, uh, in the area, it, it wasn't, uh, a lot of predators because there was no, uh, water sources and, uh, as soon we start putting more water, uh, we benefit the whole chain, you know. So from the big mammal to the small mammal, so uh, and, and all birds and, and, you, and you notice right away. That was uh, think of one year and you start seeing more javelinas, more bobcats, you know. And we 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 have trail cameras in every single water water uh, sources. Right now we have. Uh, 28 water sources in an uh, 80,000 acre 80,000 acre ranch. Basically, all the north, middle, and part of the south. You know, so uh, we need to we need to keep working on that. But it is, right now most of the water that we develop is by truck. You know, uh, so uh, we need we need to work on that. It's not that, that it's going to happen next year, you know. It takes a lot of, a lot of years. So uh, water, uh, a natural thing is a predator because if you don't have it, 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 it it's a big block it, that, that you cannot advance on your project, you know. That is one issue, a natural issue, but we can work on that. Uh, and the other one is just keep low the population of uh, predators, you know, specifically cats and uh and, and of course uh creating conscious in in society around you neighbors or that's doesn't mean many search if they if they don't help you uh these kind of projects they don't they don't be success
1: so if i buy that tag jacob how how's the hunting gonna be <laughs> I mean, I, it, it, Oh, Is It, it tough? will be a, a,
3: a full experience, you know, there's a lot of history in that ranch. Seeing the pedo, pedographics, or just uh, climbing to the highest peak of the of, of the, of the ranch and, and know that, uh, like you mentioned before, that priest, uh, Eusebio Quino, that he was uh, educating and teaching the religion in the 1700s, you know, what... what one day he, he went up there and, 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 and see that, uh, that uh, there was more land in, in the other side of the ocean and this Baja, you know? So he's, he saw the peninsula of Baja from there and he moved to Baja from that way, you know? And so that's, that's the route that he uh take and, and start teaching and, and building missions in all over. And then he went to California and all the way to San Francisco and you know? also uh, uh, that kind of history you can find in that land You know, it's not even it's not just going hunting and kill something it's, it's, it's the whole memory the whole experience you know there is a lot of things uh, in the back of, of, of hunt to to travel and, and, and visit a new place you know uh, like like other places, you know, uh, going Texas, uh, it's not just going Texas, you know, you need to visit El Alamo, El- you know, for, uh, for example.
0: Is... So gentlemen, let's, I'd like to jump into that a little bit. Now, we're just going to wrap up here shortly, but let's talk about, um, so I guess I'll just back up five years ago, Emilio, you generously donated, uh, a hunt, um, through the Wild Sheep Society of BC, and Darren Epp uh, won that through our raffle. We run uh, a desert bighorn through our wild sheep raffles, and Darren won it and came and hunt, hunted with you guys and killed a beautiful 190-inch bighorn. Um, so if somebody's coming, on your, coming to hunt with you guys, what, what can they expect? What does it look like? Is, is, there, is it all spot and stock? Are they gonna be driving around in a vehicle? Is it gonna be on horseback? What does it look like to come and hunt with you guys?
2: Okay, uh, with us, we do use from the house, from the lodge to the edge of the mountain, yeah, we use a, a, a vehicle vehicle, because we might be going far away, but 100% of the hand will be on foot because uh, the bottom, the valley, where, where the lodge is, is about 4,000 feet above sea level and the Highest elevations is 8,500, so it's way high, and we don't have roads to to drive in the mountain. So they usually get um, breakfast or light breakfast because so many people don't want to eat at 6:15 in the morning, 6:30, and then they drive to the edge of the mountain and start hiking, and um, they have taquitos and tamales about at nine in the morning. And then they have again lunch, probably at noon. Uh, and they might take, if it's a hot day, they might take a rest. There is no many shades because the Chihuahuan Desert is not like the Sonora Desert. We don't have any trees. Um, it's a much hard, harsh environment and uh, much lower. And I can tell you about West Texas, same thing, exactly the same. It's the same Chihuahua Desert. And then they come back at, uh, at night. However, we do have for each Hunter, uh, Each Hunter goes with a main guide and another guide that helps carry water and then uh, either Emilio Mainly Emilio, my son, is going to be in the hunt, or either Rene or Rafa, some other guy from the ranch that speaks English. So you, we don't have any, we won't have any uh, issues with uh, the language barrier. And uh, we have another two guides that they are scouting. While they are up in the mountains, they are out scouting and seeing and. And just always looking uh, for different places, different rams, different canyons. And, um, and again, this is a, how you say spot and stock, because uh, unless they see an animal way late in the afternoon, 5, 5.30, then they will leave it alone probably if I try to make a stock the following day. Sometimes they come back and they don't see him again, or they might see him. You know how hunting is. However, um, it's very tough, very tough hunting. You must have some uh, good health and and uh, how you say, capacity of climbing because it's going to be a very tough. Food is great back at the lodge and uh, and that's how we conduct hunts. They are very tough. Well,
0: that's exciting, Emilio. Now, Will, um, do you guys see a lot of rams when you're out? There's a lot of animals. I, I would imagine with 600 animals on the on the property now that's six to 700, I'm sure you see a lot of animals when you're a lot of sheep when you're out hunting.
2: Yes, uh, of course. You, you see uh, and um, like the 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 raffle you mentioned from British Columbia, Darrell, that he hunted a huge one of the biggest ones we take at the ranch, and he was one before last of the season, and uh, we never saw that run before. He probably was living somewhere and came in probably some ewe uh, in heat or whatever, and they never saw. So you never know what, what to see. And some days, like you just said, uh, you see a lot of animals, younger rams, uh, one or two good ones. However, um, it's not a guaranteed thing. Sometimes you only see ewes, young rams. But it happened, too, that you see three, four, five charitable rams. And uh, some people are looking for the largest, but some, and I should say probably most, are looking for the oldest. They, of course, what they wish to have is the oldest ram with the largest, of course. However, uh, many of them, they say, I settle for the oldest and I if we can shoot a 12, a 11, 12, yeah, that would be great. And sometimes they pass a nine-year-old, eight-year-old, uh, younger ram that might score a little bit higher. And they say, no, let's go back for the other one. The one we saw first, uh, very old one. And, and so all depends of, of the hunter. Usually we get great hunters too. That's fantastic.
0: Um, Do you guys have any hunts available this winter, Amelia? You guys sold out? I think you were sold out for a few years, weren't you?
2: Yeah, we're sold out for this and of course we have some changes because of the COVID-19. I believe a couple, one or two, move for next year and that move a little bit how everything was set and uh, and probably one from the next year is going to come on his, on his place because we already have the tag and we are conduct. hunts. we are doing the COVID, uh, How you say test, we we have a, a medical staff that go there and we are doing our. Test for all the people that work at the ranch, the guides and people at the kitchen and the, at the bedroom that take care of of the of the guests. We we they, they all have to have the the COVID test. So we're ready for this season, and uh, we're very exciting, and we're only two weeks away from. From the first hunter as a matter of fact the guy who bought the auction tag uh, at the waltzy foundation he's coming in a couple of weeks uh, fantastic I just, I just came from before this uh, we start this i just came driving a little bit faster than <laughs> to get here for to, to to be here at two central time well we
0: certainly so, appreciate well, you you're making the Making the call, Emilio, and uh, and I just want to say uh, personally from uh, all the, all the conservation support you've given the the, the community, uh, you know, you've been such a generous supporter of the Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, you know, your family, what you guys have done to support uh, the foundation, and 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 well beyond that, in terms of what you've done with your leadership of being on our board of directors and uh, heading up the council in Mexico there, so. You know there's just not enough thanks that to go around for all you've done and all the support La Pomosa's uh, given to uh, wild sheep conservation. So you're definitely uh, somebody I respect and look up to, and very thankful for all you've done for sure.
2: Thank you. Oh, yeah, we thank you very much, and we do believe in the Wild Sheep Foundation. He's doing a great job, and uh, we'll continue to support as much as possible. Thank you very much for inviting me and having this opportunity to speak a little bit. Uh, um, I wish my English was better. However, uh, thank you very much, I appreciate it.
1: No, it's, it's, it's you tell fantastic. Always tell Emilio his English is better than mine, so. <laughs> yeah, <to
0: you>. uh, <laughs> his English is fantastic, absolutely. Um, so, uh, you, now, the Wild Sheep Society of BC, this year, um, this is the first time we're working with Sierra El Alamo, um, and I want to thank you, Jacob, for the support you've loaned us and and uh, working with us. I know you worked with Oregon last year, and um, we're really excited to partner with you through our Wild Sheep Raffle this year. We're going to be doing a raffle um, for um, a desert bighorn uh, for a hunt on Sierra El Alamo. So, um, Jacob, if you don't mind, could you just talk a little bit about, um, you know, what somebody can expect on a hunt with you guys and what that
3: looks like? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, isn't that a big difference between uh, how they do it in, 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 in Coahuila? You know, uh, we, as, as as private land, we 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 have a, a lot to stay. So the hunter, it will be out for a day, you know, so... It will carry a, a day pack no you don't need more than that so we go early morning and uh, and we have a staff of uh, between eight and 15 people in the ranch and I will say a good ten of people you know ten people will go out and split in different directions you know for at least for the first day second day and uh, to cover most of the land that we can, you know, and uh, so we're looking for the biggest ram. Biggest ram. Uh, and and that's curious because uh so, something happened to us uh last season. Uh after five hunters, uh the last hunter take the biggest ram, you know, in the in, in the season. So uh he killed a 182 RAM. That was beautiful RAM, beautiful RAM. And uh they're there, you know, and sometimes you spend a lot of time looking for the biggest one and show at the at the last day and the last hunt, you know. So we don't have a uh, 700 ran, uh, uh, sheep population, but uh, but we have over 200 in, in the in the area, you know. Uh, 100 sheep that we already uh, uh, introduced, and in, uh, plus the newborns, and also probably 250 animals in in the area and 80,000 acre ranch with a uh, uh, big mountain ranges, uh, here, different Coahuila and and and, 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 Sonora. Basically we're on sea level, you know, uh, and, uh, our, our biggest mountain range, the highest peak is 3000 feet elevation. So, uh, and, uh, and we have two, two Sierras that are connected in the middle of the Sierra, uh, that they, they are the same altitude. So, uh, what we do. We go in the car and trying to cover the most most land that we can in different points of the of the ranch, and start glassing from there. You know, a lot of binoculars, a lot of stuff. You know, it's hard terrain, and you want to do it in once or two climbs. You know, because uh, it demands a lot of physical uh, that land. You know, so, so it is. It's easy walk, you know, in the main that you're not climbing, but uh, step by step, you know. Right? But but you need time to to do it, you know. Uh, climbing at three thousand feet elevation from sea level is is not that easy. It take you a couple hours. But uh, a lot of ramps, they they're not in that high, you know. I will say middle three quarter of the mountain range, you know, uh, there's where they live. They like to live. There's more vegetation at that high, that in a, a 3,000 feet of leverage. Uh, uh, so we go out and we split different groups. Uh, normally, two, three different groups. Uh, there's always me or my brother uh, guiding, or it could be both of us. And also, I have, a, so we're a family of four brothers. And, uh, and all of us, we like to, we like to hunt. And, and guide. And we know how to do it, and we've been doing this for many years. And uh, so, but basically, my brother George and I, we're, we take care of the hunter, and there's also uh, people helping us, you know, uh, more spotters or buckers. Uh, you know, what we want you is to have the whole experience, but also want to have 100% success of this, you know. And I want you to do it. Uh, soon we can because I don't want you uh, going up and down and in, in, in mountains for ten days. You know, uh, probably in the after five days you will say I'm done, and I want you you go home with a good quality trophy and uh, that empty hands. You know, the empty hands that are because uh, I don't want to break the hunter. You know, so we take a lot of a lot of care of the, of, of the hunter so uh a lot of hydration you know a lot of water gatorade or uh another vitamins or electrolytes uh we we always drink you know during the day of course we have uh our early morning breakfast and like emilio said you know it's too early we just go and have a, a lunch during the during the morning and then uh it is getting too late. We go back to the ranch and relax and and be ready for the next day. You know. So we, yeah, we we move by vehicles and uh, especially trucks. And uh, some part of the of the day, we jump out of the trucks and uh, we, we climb small hills and start cover more land from different uh, elevations to uh, to to locate the the the, the ram that he like. You know. So we we take you there, and uh, the the final decision is on the hunter. Uh, if He like it, we go. If not, we pass and look for another one.
0: Fantastic! Well, that's exciting. I, I know you guys sold out for this uh, this winter as well. Or how's that looking, Jacob? If somebody wanted to go hunt desert bighorns, could they get a get a spot with you this year?
3: Well, yes, we have a we have one one opening, but uh, like like Emilio said, a lot of. It, I was expecting to, uh, to cancellations and uh, but with all this COVID, but, uh, the dirt is still on, you know, there's only one, there was only one of the hunters that, uh, buy one of the auctions, uh, world ship foundation auction. Uh, he decided to donate his hand to his dad. So his dad is coming. Uh, so he switched, you know, uh, for us, this is not a problem. We just uh, we uh, we just communicate that to World Chief Foundation. He agreed to it, and so uh, so so we're going to receive people from Welch Foundation, Dallas Safari Club, uh, Oregon ch- Chapter. You know, uh, a lot of organizations they're focused on us, and basically, this is how we work. You know, we work through organizations. Uh, So, so, so uh, I think it's better, better that way, you know, and of course we have direct clients that they, they, they book direct with us, but, uh, but uh, we're open to work with organizations as, as well chief society in in BC for next year.
0: Oh, we appreciate it. And, and all the, you know, all the donations and all the support you've given these other organizations too. I know you've worked with the foundation and, uh, and working even closer in the next coming years here with us and, and also uh, Dallas Safari Club, and so thank you on behalf of uh, our conservation community. Thank you for all you do as well, and to the RT family, Jacob. So we appreciate that.
3: For, for giving the, the opportunity to to speak and and and, and 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 know about more about these projects, you know what what happened in Mexico, uh, what we're concerned about it, and uh, this this kind of like uh, uh, project is, is is important for everyone everybody you know it's, it's not a thing that uh, you're just doing for one reason it's a legacy you know we're putting cheap in the mountain and uh you know our our goal is to keep it there you know to keep more cheap and uh restore the the whole population of uh of the desert beacon chip. you know speaking on the name of my family you know uh uh thank you everybody you know and uh, to give you uh, the, the microphone a little bit to to explain what we're doing here and, and talk about it
0: it's an inspiration, you know, and, you know, it's funny. We got together here today and talked for an hour and a half for almost two hours, and it was 99% about conservation. And, uh, you know, you guys are businessmen and, uh, you know, uh, but here we are talking about the resource and the conservation, the work that's being done. And um, so, you know, fantastic conservation leadership, um, both you and, and uh, what the council's doing there in Mexico. And just an honor to, to see that and to see such a success story, um, it's just fantastic, so thank you both um, for for all you do there. And um, Steve, do you have any questions? any anything before we wrap up here? No, it's just been fascinating to uh, to to hear firsthand some success stories about how hunting actually gives back from people that do it and have seen it. You, you hear about all the the rhetoric online. And, and people say how it happens, but to hear firsthand the stories, it's been pretty, pretty awesome. And I appreciate your time. Fantastic. Um, Clay, I want to thank you for uh, just for all your time today. And, and, and just, you know, your, your passion and your leadership uh, in the wild sheep community. I know every time we get together, you're Kyle, you got to come to Mexico with me and see this. You just, you can't understand it. You have to see it. And I'm going to take you up on that one day, and I, I want to go down there, and I want to experience it because, uh, you know, your passion is just so infectious. And uh, the work that you're doing through the foundation, particularly in Mexico, but with just big at large, it's just an inspiration, and I'm very thankful for that.
1: I appreciate that. I, I work for a good outfit and, and uh, you know, a great board of directors that, uh, that believe in true conservation, so I'm thankful for that.
0: Fantastic. Well, we've taken enough of your time, uh, gentlemen, on this Thursday afternoon. I want to thank all of you. Um, thank, uh, thank you, Emilio. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Clay, and, and, of course, Steve for for being here. So it's been a pleasure. I want to wish you guys a fantastic fall and a, a great hunting season this winter, gentlemen, and uh, look forward to catching up again soon. Sounds good. See you
1: guys. Thank
0: Thanks you, you. Very
2: Kyle. You are very welcome to come to La Pazosa.
0: I want to come and check it out for sure, Amelia. I will. I'll be down there one day for sure, no question. So
2: thank you. Good.
0: Thank you. you. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Goodbye.